greetings, namaste, and shalom, everybody out there in dreamland. I am the beyond top secret Texan. Join me on my podcast, the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast, where I explore the outer limits of human abilities, top secret military technologies, the reality of extraterrestrial Earth alliances, secret space wars, advanced cryptozoology, and all subjects of theosophic truth, esotericism, and the occult. Beyond the Top Secret Texan Podcast. Greetings, everybody out there in Dreamland. Namaste and Shalom. Iron sharpens iron, and a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much for tuning into another broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am your host, Beyond Top Secret Texan, broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. It's my pride and privilege to be doing so. Thank you, listeners, new and old alike most sincerely follow the social media if you haven't already to keep in touch with up to the minute updates notifications and posts you can find all my links to Instagram you know what have you uh, my website podpage.com slash beyond top secret text and all of that you can find the links to uh, my YouTube and my Twitter and uh, merch store and the different platforms for my podcast all through Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Text and that's Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Text and all lowercase all one word Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Text moving right along to the episode because we have a lot to talk about and I want to try to do this as fast as possible really just to get a taste out of my mouth but really it's uh we're going to be reviewing and discussing um nope Nope, the UFO film that re- that just came out today, and um, basically we're going to be reviewing it, um, having just seen it ourselves in theaters, having just gotten back to the theaters, still fresh in our mind. Um, I wanted to like this film, I really did. But there's a lot of problems with it. And there's too many to ignore for it to be a good film. But I would say it's a solid bad film. Solid bad film. And um, definitely going to be a cult classic into the future. But there's a lot of things that could be improved. And there's a lot of reasons for improving those things. And I think I could have done it better, so we'll be rewriting it in the second segment of it. But the first segment's going to be a, a totally straight review. Uh, spoiler alert and all that good shit, but uh, honestly, who the hell gives a shit? This, this is what movie criticism and film criticism is about. It doesn't keep the film itself as a secret. And there is no tangible experience that is indistinguishable from knowing how a film plays out and then seeing it play out, whether it be for the first time or even the tenth time, 
it's all subjective. It's an unquantifiable thing. And so, but just out of courtesy, uh, we will be talking about details of the movie and the progress and the different uh, plot elements that would be revealed, cold reveal, if you wanted to, if you didn't know anything about it yet. So there's a chance to bail it then, but then I'm going to be rewriting it. So it's mute. If you listen to the review, you might as well listen to the uh, rewrite because we're going to be improving it and we're going to be making it a good film and not just a solid cult classic bad film. Um, we're going to be getting into it uh, right away. So, discussing Nope. And to keep it uh, focused only on the film and not... Um, Jordan Peele or um, you know his his um, catalog his canon of films or how it stacks up into other films and I feel like that's he's basically the next generation or the current uh, M. Night Shyamalan in terms of people are now starting to judge his films in relation to other of his films and not just films themselves because as M. Night Shyamalan famously preceded him the films get ridiculous and very bad and against other films they are mediocre at best but within the M. Night Shyamalan canon you can kind of see how they are competitive or at least fair in their turnout like you know his, his own way of movie making and Jordan Peele, after making uh, three movies that have been disappointments and have sucked, given that their hype uh, was over the top and fucking through the roof for this guy, and um, that being Get Out, Us, and Antebellum, and um, Antebellum is so bad that people aren't even bringing it up when they are talking about his films. And don't forget his short-lived run on Lovecraft Country. And that fucking sucked. And so I'm not going to be speaking about my what, the way I feel about Jordan Peele as a horror movie auteur. Or someone who uh, is considered by the mainstream as a horror movie uh, legend in the making, as it were. Uh, but we're talking about this movie just as it is by itself, standing alone. With nothing else to compare it to except movies at large you know cinema vitea and um, you know I'll be getting into it by by <laughs> you know this is all my own opinion we're not trying to, to cat right anyone's coattails or or mimic anyone or anything but already on the internet it is it is quite a um, hilarious turnout for example just that's an anonymous post. But, bro, the social commentary. No, yeah, I fucking hated it, too. Worst movie I've seen this year, and that's saying something, because I watched a shitload of movies this year. Very slow burn. Takes nearly an hour for anything of note to even happen. There's a couple of jump scare type moments, but I was so checked out of the movie that it didn't even phase me. But like I said, it's not much of a horror movie, really.
Okay, so let's get this out of the way real quick. The movie, everyone knows, nope, is built around UFOs. Or at least a UFO and the sightings of this UFO on a ranch. Right? Everyone's watched the trailer. Everyone's, um, you know, feel free to do that. Again, that's the public domain. That's what they want you to see to get you into the seats. Jordan Peele did an interview round publicly promoting the film and talking about his interest in the UAP and UFO phenomenon. I wanted to like this movie because if it was good, it would help out the UFO and UAP phenomenon and the research and the people who research it. A rising tide carries all ships. It's a win-win if he wins. I'm at the point now thinking that this movie will actually add a level of further ridiculousness to the subject uh, because it tried to handle so many things uh, that and it, it barely covered on as many things as it was trying to handle that nothing made really any sense and that its ultimate reveal just seems to be a uh, cop-out, really, instead of having to answer any questions or provide any real imagination to the issue, they did think outside the box, but in a very limiting way. And I know that's paradoxical to think about when you're like, oh, as a movie director, you're trying to create a horror movie with a original or innovative take on a classic subject or a well-known um, subject. And yes, they did that in theory, but in practice, like I say, on paper, that's what's going on. In in practice, it's like a creature feature that is actually a kind of a letdown in place of what it could be, which was the actual UAP, UFO, OVNI phenomenon. Um, there are many things that it does cover in terms of the ufology world and the obscure uh, aspects of it that I realized that he researched and at least tried to incorporate maybe as red herrings but at least uh, in a type of connectivity uh, attempt that would you know it's admirable and I understand that movies are edited by outsiders and that this was um a movie for his audience, which, yes, I get it. I get it. And like I said, we're not trying to compare it to his own movies, but he's starting to make it for himself and for people who like his films. Right? So we're just going to try to read the uh, synopsis and the summary uh, from good old Wikipedia here. And I'll be chiming in with the details that I remember and the experience of watching them. And you'll kind of get my drift as we kind of go on. I kind of have to remember the uh, the sequence of events as I read out the summary and how it felt. It's basically Daniela Kaluuya um, is, is OJ. Uh, K.K. Palmer is his sister, Emerald, or Emma. Uh, Stephen Wan is uh, Jupiter. Uh, Barbie Ferreira is his uh, wife, I believe, even though she's a very bit character. He's the, the casting list, the big names are actually kind of bit...
So, yeah, the plot is, as the trailer shows, uh, in the film, two ranch-owning siblings attempt to capture video evidence of an unidentified flying object. Right? It's just that straightforward and simple. As a premise. Right? As a premise. And all the trailers show that, and all the synopsis, and Jordan Peele was talking about it, and how the phenomenon is... Uh, started his his excitement for the subject and that it was a really important revelation and that more people should be interested in thinking about it and more films should be made about it, etc. Think about that. As we get into the synopsis and how he actually handled it. The film starts, cold starts by the way, this film fucking cold starts in 1998 on a fucking soundstage where a chimpanzee named Gordy is attacking the actors and crew and audience on a soundstage for a sitcom. Gordy's home. The show's youngest actor, Ricky Jupy Park, the Asian boy, hides and witnesses is basically hiding under a table with like a cloth uh, tabletop on it, like a tablecloth. So he's obscured, but he can see out. You know, your classic child witnessing brutality uh, but obscured kind of like uh, from like his hiding spot right and yeah you are hearing in complete Dolby surround sound THX with 1138 whatever the fuck they got nowadays IMAX experience by the way I saw this in IMAX uh, vicious chip mauling sounds and like gasps and like bloody like you know uh, struggles and shit like that and screams of terror and, and uh, you know, the sound was great. I'm not going to say the sound. It was loud as fuck. That was, it was louder than Jurassic Park. It was louder than fucking Godzilla uh, 2019. Um, you know, it was loud. It was a loud fucking movie. And, and so this is absolutely, like, just brutal when you see it, right? Uh, the show's youngest actor, Ricky Jupe Park, hides and witnesses the brutal ordeal that Gordy is unusually friendly to Jupe before authorities shoot Gordy down. Okay, that's written that way. Doesn't happen that way visually. It cuts off um, when the chimpanzee's like uh, stops mauling one of the women and like sits down, and Gordy sees like the blood on its face and hands, and it's like hitting a shoe, and there's a shoe, and the shoe is standing up like a glitch in the matrix on the floor with like one drop of blood on it and it's like to show that this is like an act of god like this is a glitch in the fucking matrix this had to have been some kind of like supernatural event because this shoe is standing vertically on itself throughout the whole like mass chimp murder right and it's 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 a mass fucking chimp murder you know, it's like what it is just right in front of you. And they don't show because they're pussies. But exactly, like, they do they do enough to keep going back there. And it's like the, the revelation or at least the dignity of seeing that. And, you know, this is a horror film in 2022. You know, I'm going in there mentally thinking that nothing, nothing nailed down is going to fucking live. And we're going to see some gore, we're going to see some, you know, what what we've already seen before in other films, right? And anyone who's a veteran of horror films would expect something along those lines. And it never gave it to us. And I feel like Jordan Peele's a pussy. And there's a 
big part of that. That's why he's not going to be a master horror artier or anything. Because you would show the fucking chimp biting and, like, chimp attacks and shit. Like, Stephen King and fucking uh, Creepshow showed uh, a woman getting her face bitten by a yeti. Like, full-on fucking teeth in the face. They did that special effect. And that movie was for children. Like, that was a juvenile's, like, teenager's first horror film kind of experience. Like, like oh, you're going to stay up past midnight and, and prove your courage by watching this. Like, they would show that shit. And, like, you know, they didn't show anything like this. And I feel like that's a very big goalpost move for the, for the implications of brutality have moved towards sound and towards, uh, and, like, I don't know, Jordan Peele's kind of a hack. So I'm not a good judge about his other films, right? Um, and it's like M. Night Shyamalan level pussy where he's like just not gonna ever go anywhere that needs to be gone to, to, to really matter or be relevant in the horror game and the horror industry as it were it's a fucking brutal world it's like, it's like, and it's like we get it it's like we get it we'll watch a crocodile eat a baby I mean I would I, that's the thing like we've we've seen some shit <laughs> we've seen some shit as like a collective society in films I mean, I think we have. Videodrome was pretty fucked up. We watched that. It's like, like I think as together as a society, we, we are pretty, you know, mature. And we can handle, you know, a, a chimpanzee ripping a woman's face off. We watched it on Oprah. And we watched it on the news. You know, like, and I feel like that was a big part, was that he himself thought this was very gruesome. And it makes no fucking sense as a movie in itself for the first half of the film. Because it's never properly used, and it's revisited three times for an extended period of time each. Not just as quick flashbacks, but as, like, a real serious, like, meditation on, like, social commentary and, like, the Hollywood uh, industry with, like, nature and violence and terror and, like, uh, trauma and life and death and, like, you know, it's, it's, it's heavy. But it's, like, weird that it's within a movie as a motivation for a side character in a film for only the first half. And, like, this, it tries to say, like, it's a big... No, it's not the opening act. It's like a, like a fucking weird, like, side movie. It's a movie within a movie, basically. It's like a short film within that film. And, yeah, they, go, uh, they do a little fist bump which is in a trailer, which a lot of people thought was an alien hand. It's not. It's a chimpanzee hand, and that they do a little fist bump with a child. Uh, that's a red herring from the trailer. So there's a lot of things in the trailer that, that were just bullshit, and they were just misdirection. Um, and I'll get to that. It'll become very obvious, but that there was one scene with like a hand reaching to a child's hand. Uh, that was a chimpanzee in this scene reaching to a child actor uh, before it was gunned down. And rightfully so, fuck that thing. Like, he's like, and rightfully so, thank God, those fucking uh, hero police were able to respond in a, in a modest time before he killed that and ate that kid. And as I'm saying, like, Jesus fucking Christ. And, like, uh, there should have been someone with a gun just there because there was, like, you know, by law, wherever there's a chimpanzee, someone has to have a gun on it. Like, I guess, I guess fucking chimpanzee laws are pretty uh, fast and loose in California. Um, but yeah, like, that's like a, a thing. That's like a thing in this film. <coughs> and if you watched it, you would immediately know 
that one, it doesn't go anywhere, and two, they were really fucking proud of this chimpanzee attack thing. Like, he was like, oh my god, people are gonna love this. This is, like, so fucking edgy. And you're like, okay. So, yeah, go back to the present day, right? Otis Haywood Sr., old black cowboy, wearing a Carhartt, all that, talking to his son, uh, the black Steve Bashimi, uh, basically OJ is junior, Otis Haywood Jr., right? So, OJ. Right? I know, right? Absolutely no no sense of self. And they try to play it off too, like, what, a black man can't be named OJ? And you're like, what, a white man can't be named Hitler? Like, what? Like, no, of course, they're, they're fucking obviously socially sensitive names. And, like, exactly, like, and it's just a weird, it's a weird thing to, to be defiant about. It, it is. They make it, like, a point to be defiant about. And you're like, why would that be a fucking problem? Like, I'm pretty sure if you're a white guy named Jeffrey Dahmer, you would change your name. <laughs> like, so like, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of white serial killers that white people don't want to be associated with equally as well. But yeah, anyway, um... This is written in a weird way to give it a lot more depth than it was. No, so this is how the film plays out. You're just sitting there watching him, and they're just bullshitting about uh, getting a job and, and things looking all right and being able to keep the ranch and all that to the future. And then shit starts raining from the sky. See, the Wikipedia says... <laughs> Wikipedia says, uh, Otis Sr. is killed by mysterious debris falling from the sky. No, shit starts falling from the sky... And they, like, kind of look at it, and then a fucking nickel kills him. A nickel. Pops him right in the fucking skull, knocks his eye out. And, um, they go to the hospital, and, uh, they apparently give back the nickel. They give the son the nickel, and he puts it, in, like, in his room. And it's, like, a bag with the fucking nickel that killed his father. And, like, <laughs> that's the scene. And so then you go to the next scene. And he's at a movie scene. He's in a movie uh, studio. And they're doing some commercial or some shit. And he's, like, shy. And he's, like, you know, still grieving and recovering from the death of his uh, fucking father or whatever. And um, he's all like, oh, I gotta do my job. But I can't do my job because I suck at it. And I'm getting all defensive. And I think uh, I'm surrounded by white people, basically. And they don't get me. And then his sister runs in really late. And his sister uh, does his job for him, which is just introducing the fucking company. All he had to do was like, hey, these are horses. These are real animals. They're, they can hurt you. Don't fuck with them. Don't do anything I don't tell you to. I'm in charge of the horses. You know, you got to listen to me. As long as the horses are here, I'm in charge of the horses. And not like get bullied to the point where the horse kicks a woman. And then... Um, yeah, he gets fired. They get fucking fired. And now they have no job, and they're, they're going under. The ranch is going to get, like, fucking bought out from, or like, sold out from under him or something. And they need money. So, uh, the black guy, Otis, uh, they're all black. This ain't the fucking black guy. <laughs> the black guy in the film. Uh, Otis, no, no, they're all black. Uh, no, they're not. They're just the two black people in the film. Everyone else is white or Asian or Mexican, which is weird. Um, don't get me started on that one. <laughs> Let me get started on this. And so, yeah, the uh, fucking Rainbow Coalition. And then um, OJ is selling horses. He's selling his show horses. These are apparently the best 
uh, show horses and like stunt horses that Hollywood has, and they have a resume that includes working for like literally since the first fucking guy in Hollywood or in, in movies. They can trace their career in Hollywood back to literally the first ever motion picture called The Horse in Motion, and they make a point of that that they were the the great descendants of the first ever filmed human being in a movie called The Horse in Motion. And they owned the horse, and they were from the Bahamas. And they made a big point of describing this, right? Because the idea is that, um, you know, it's very much like the Old West and, and this kind of like, oh, don't you remember cowboys were black? And you're like, yeah, because, yeah, you know, it wasn't that great of a job. You know, like, it... It's like cotton picking. Like, all the cotton pickers were black. You're right. Like, or Mexican. Or Mexican. And most of the cowboys were black. Or Mexican. It wasn't that great of a job. <laughs> and then, yeah, you know, like, they try to make it like they're, like they're royalty. Like, we was kings. And it's basically the we was kings uh, meme. Basically, that they used to be, like, the shit in Hollywood back when everyone had horses in their movies. But no one puts horses in movies no more. And, you know, and then... And then we, we, you know, we was kings. We used to, we used to run this place, but now we gotta sell our fucking horses to this Asian dude. And the Asian dude is Jupiter, right? Jupiter Park. So he's the guy in, from the fucking monkey scene. He's the little Chinese kid from when the monkey attacked and killed everybody. I don't know why that's fucking important. Like I said, and it is, and it's a big fucking deal. But this is a <laughs> so the Asian guy. He's like going up to sell his horse, and. Uh, his sister, who's extremely annoying and just a terrible actress, it's not the character herself, it's just the performance, and it makes you just fucking want to smack the shit out of this bitch, because he's just so awkward and, like, just uh, loud and dumb, and it's not even, like, a racial thing at that point, point. she's just, like, a loud, dumb bitch, <laughs> and, like, it's just a big point of it, like, she's fucking barely there just to be a loud, dumb bitch. And um, she goes in there, and while these two gentlemen are doing business, right, OJ's like, okay, I'm going to try to buy back these horses, you know, we can get a deal going, maybe I can just, like, you know, uh, loan you the horses. He doesn't know yet what's really going on with the horses, right? And he's like, I want to see them, I want to take care of them, maybe you can hire me on as, like, your horse guy, you know, like, we can team up kind of thing. But before he can really even get those words out of his mouth, his big mouth fucking sister is just opening a trap, just yap, yap. And she's talking about all the memorabilia around the guy's office. And he used to be on TV in the 90s, right? He's a little fucking Asian kid. And for some reason, now granted, for some fucking reason, this Asian guy has a secret room in his office that's a museum and a shrine to the monkey attack. Like, all the show, behind-the-scenes shit, all the memorabilia, all of that. And he even says, I quote, This is secret. I usually charge people for it. But, you know, I guess once mentioned, he just, he's like, Okay, yeah, I'll show you this terrible incident in my past. And it makes this joke of it. Which, you would think they would play the real attack then, and it doesn't. It takes literally an hour, a fucking hour, and three revisits to show a five-minute chimpanzee attack. And this is apparently what motivates the fucking Asian guy, for some weird reason, to do what he does. Which you will hear, I guess I'll just say it now. So basically, 
All of this is to get the sister and the brother back together and on the ranch because they've split up since dad died. And, you know, she doesn't want to be a rancher anymore, and he's losing the ranch, so he needs help, but he's too proud to ask. And they're selling the horses to the Chinese guy, and she hates the idea, right? Like, she's like, no, we got to fight back and all that stuff. And, um, you know, and even then she just wants to leave. She doesn't even give a shit, really. She's just like, whatever, that's like your business. You know, it, it sucks that that's happening, but, like, you know, you fucked it up. And um, the Asian guy is feeding horses to the UFO. I say that because around this time, the scene actually happens where it's literally the first night the sister is sleeping back over at the ranch, right? It's the first night she's there. She's going to leave the next day. The guy, OJ's like, oh, there's a horse. It's freaking the fuck out. I got to go over there and see what's going on. And he goes over there, and from where he's where he lives on his ranch, he can look down a valley and see the fucking Asian guy's theme park or whatever. It's like a, a old west uh, theme park carnival type thing, right? And um, and that doesn't make a lot of fucking sense either. Why this Chinese fucking kid uh, wants to do this theme park thing because a monkey attacked a fucking woman that he worked with when he was like nine? I don't know. And so anyway. Um, He's, he's looking down there, and there's a horse, you know, being being taken out by the Chinese guy, and it's his fucking horse, right? He's like, oh, man, that's my horse that I sold. And, you know, the, the shadow runs out to go, it's like spooked, because the UFO comes down and takes the horse, right? And he's all like, oh, shit, you know, like, that's a UFO. That's so we think. And thus, you know, Jupiter Park is implicated in this as well, like, you know, immediately. Now you know... Something's going on with him. He knows about the UFO. He's been feeding fucking horses to it. I don't know how this is news because the guy lives literally with an eyesight of him in a fucking valley, right? And the guy, the Chinese guy even says, every night for the last six months or something, or like, uh, you know, like there's six weeks or some fucking three months or whatever, something, right? He says every, every weekend or every whatever, he's, his family's been witness to this phenomenon that he has basically got it down like clockwork, and that's a big part of the fucking uh, movie itself, that big scene. But this is all within the first, like, you know, getting to it. After they see this shit, the sister decides to film the UFO, and this is where the plot comes, you know, from the trailer, so that they can get money by being the first people to ever get a video of a UFO, which is total bullshit. There are thousands of videos of UFOs, and no one's ever gotten a fucking dime for it. But they're like, yeah, there's a contest, and it's like $500,000 for, for clear, you know, undisputable, real proof of a UFO, right? And here are where all the shenanigans begin, because they go to get camera equipment at fucking Fry's Electronics. It's like Best Buy in California. If you don't have a Fry's Electronics, it's like a big city thing. All right? And uh, if you don't live in America or just don't give a shit, Fry's sucks. And it's a retail store. So they go to a box store, right? They don't even buy it online. They just go to a fucking box store. Yeah, like boomers. And they just go buy this shit. This, uh, like, you know, fucking, um, you know, department store prices. And the guy that's ringing them up is this smart-ass guy who talks all this shit to him about uh, if they're smart enough to rig all this shit up, right? 
and he's just talking shit to him, and it it does kind of feel like it's a little racist. And I thought this was going to be a big point to call out racism or something. No, they end up recruiting this guy and getting his help. And yes, they're a little cold at first because of his first-hand racism, right? But he becomes a useful member of the team. <coughs> He's a Mexican guy named Angel with blonde hair, like, like you know, dyed blonde hair, very California, and he, like, is the tech guy. He becomes, like, the nerd tech guy slash the third guy of the group. And he believes in aliens and is believing them, and it's, like, all on board, right? He's all ready to go get this motherfucking alien. And um, that night, when they get everything set up, that night, um, they see the UFO again. Shit gets real. Um, you know, they, they get all fucking spooked out. You know, another UFO-type close encounter incident. The camera system fucks up mysteriously, but, you know, now everyone's hooked. And um, this goes into, like, the third day, right? And the third day is Jupe introducing the new show in Jupiter's Claim, his little Wild West carnival. Okay, he's planning to use a horse as bait. And he's got like a horse uh, and like a glass like fish tank. But yeah, he's got he's gonna lure out the horse using the uh, he's gonna use the horse as bait, lure out the UFO in front of the paying audience, right? The UFO arrives and devours Jupiter. Uh, his family, all the audience, um, and OJ shows up right now. And when it eats them, it fucking eats them. Oh, yeah, and by the way, we've already uh, established in this scene, right? Because that was the pivot. That was the pivot scene right there. In this scene, we established that the UFO is not, in fact, aliens, but is, in fact, um, an animal. It is a it is a sky beast. It is a sky beast that eats horses and people. And uh, it is not a UFO. It is not a ship. It is not a craft. It is not piloted by aliens. It is not an alien itself. It is a monster. That is about uh, as far into detail as we ever get, because there is no. Science guy or UFO person or lore exposition guy from this point on or uh, or prior to it. What we get is the reveal as the people are swallowed down a throat and devoured as they scream being dissolved by stomach acid. Now, this scene was actually very good. And this scene only is the reason why I gave it two out of five stars. Because it is fucking rad to hear at least 40 people's screams. And they really do... The sound on this is so good. Because you can hear the layered layered screams of children with adults. And, uh, you know, and, and the idea of the horror and pain and uh, fear and ultimate hopelessness that comes with being eaten alive by something, you know. And it's absolutely uh, the best scene in the movie. Fucking head and shoulders above everything else in the film, absolutely best scene in the movie. 
is the scene where uh, Jupiter, his family, and the, all, everyone invited there, all the innocent people uh, get brutally and uh, violently murdered <laughs> by the UFO. That is absolutely incredible. And uh, the build-up to it, it does have a... That is when you realize you're watching a creature feature. And yes, the telltale hint was Gordy and the chimpanzee thing. But you are not dealing with technology. You are not dealing with sci-fi. You are dealing with a creature feature and the logic therein, especially from this point forward. And this is where it becomes fucking Jaws. This is where it becomes Lake Placid. This is where it becomes a pretty solid cult classic creature feature, right? And before, it really did kind of toe the line with, like, uh, you know, maybe a Close Encounters of a Third Kind, maybe a, uh, maybe a Fire in the Sky type film. Maybe there was a lot of potential for it. Uh, you know, maybe a sudden reveal at the end about where everyone's been taken, where everyone's going, etc. Uh, maybe a way of reinventing a classic alien species or creating an entirely new one. Maybe setting up a film universe or something like that, or a bigger picture type thing. Like, oh, this is a global invasion, like sightings. You know, I thought, I thought at this point it still might go into sightings territory, right? What if in sightings? Instead of an alien invasion, for apparently no reason, but a global invasion that was obvious and, you know, available on the news and the military was giving reports about it and shit, that the aliens were just straight up eating people. And they just wanted to invade because they were hungry. And that um, they were territorial. And that if you look them in the eye, then they attack. And that's what does it. And if you... If you treat them like a wild horse, or if you treat them like a predator, like you would anything else, like with territory or uh, dominance or whatever, uh, and, and if it has a quote-unquote spirit, then it can be quote-unquote broken. Um, yeah, that, that's what the movie becomes. Because Jordan Peele is not intelligent enough to write about fucking UFOs, about the real history of abductions, or to treat it with any kind of realistic humanity, uh, especially the idea of alien abduction and, uh, you know, the existential horror of alien contact. No. No. He has to resolve, he has to basically devolve it into, uh, you know, basically a, a, a Godzilla monster. Uh, you know, nothing different than a big crocodile or a flying stingray that eats people or, um, uh, you know, uh, a blob uh, from the movie Blob. You know, a blob from the movie Blob. And I believe Blob, uh, the 80s remake, actually had more science fiction going for it than this movie does, especially in its second and third chapter after this uh, incident at the Jupiter's Park where basically you realize that it's just a monster. It is not a extraterrestrial. It is not a, an intelligent being. It doesn't have any motivations outside the fact that it gets hungry and fucking eats horses and people, too. It, it loves them. It loves nomming on them. And it can't get enough. Except, oh, there's a brilliant scene after this. And this whole plays out, by the way. This, this whole thing plays out in this one epic long scene where 
that OJ discovers that the camp has been fucking, uh, you know, devoured. It's completely empty. Shit's, you know, hit the fan. Uh, he goes and finds his horse. His horse gets uh, taken. Um, basically, uh, I don't know if his horse gets taken then or not. No, I don't think. I think he keeps it until the end of the film. But basically, there's like a close call with the horse. Um, he then makes it back. He makes it back to his house. Uh, the UFO has attacked the house. The UFO is attacking the people in the house's sister and Angel. And Angel is there, you know, um, seeing it firsthand. The sister, they're all hiding. And it rains blood on them. So the UFO is sitting over the house, raining blood on them. Just raining body parts and all the bullshit that was in their pockets, like keys and change and, like, the odd shoe and, like, bits of wood and whatever it sucked up, right? Rocks and shit. And it's implied that this is an intelligent action from an, from a bestial creature, so it is, like, it's pissing on them? I think it's, like, implied that it's just pissing on them or, like, taking a shit on them. And this is what it shits out. It's, like, goo and, like, body fluid and, like, belt buckles. You know, like, and, like, teeth fillings. And, like, hair. Like, and that's basically it. Oh, and they find out at this point that if you feed it fake shit, it spits it out. Because it can't eat fake shit, like plastic and stuff. Because it ate a plastic horse at one point, and it spits out the plastic horse. And they're like, oh, we just got to keep feeding it, like, bullshit. And, like, that'll be a way of getting getting away from it, right? And it's just like, at this point, it becomes a fucking laugh-a-minute, like, bullshit fest. There's a scene in this scene, right? So there's a scene within a scene. This overall larger scene of the UFO raining fucking blood on his house, right? With his sister and uh, a friend on the inside. He is driving a van up to it, right? It's the old Fry's Electronics van that Angel let him borrow. So he's driving this van up to it. He sees the thing raining blood. It spits out the plastic horse that they fed him earlier. It's a life-size plastic horse. And it flies through the windshield, right? Motherfucker opens the car door, looks up at it, closes it, says the classic line, nope. Then it's shown, he jump cuts to the morning after, and this motherfucker asleep in the van, asleep in the van, At one point, they want us to believe that this guy fell asleep with a UFO raining blood down on his house (laughs) while his sister and just like some random guy they met were in mortal jeopardy mere feet, like, like, like 30 feet away from him. And his vehicle had already been like near destroyed, totaled by the fucking horse, uh, the fake horse, and it was like raining. So, I mean pretty sure the car was pretty wet on the inside you know from the giant hole in the windshield caused by the flying horse and then he goes to sleep so we're led to believe that this wasn't scary enough to keep him awake for a night <laughs> you know for at least a night not seeing 40 human beings and hearing their collective screams by the way from where he was standing the UFO flies over his head and you hear 40 human screams in pure agony fly over his head 
And then he goes to sleep later that night with the same UFO over his house, pissing blood on it. This is where it becomes a laugh a minute, and it's very, it's very difficult to keep remembering just how many dumb fucking things there were. And it was like every single minute there was something fucking stupid. And it was just like, at one point, they remember this already happened, right? This already happened. They need to call somebody to get this filmed because their overall mission hasn't changed. They are going to film this fucking UFO, not tell anyone about it because it's their secret. Remember, 40 human beings have died within one night, right? And then they were next-door neighbors and shit. Kids, women, you know, fucking innocent people, they're not telling anyone, and they're watching it on the news as a mystery. You know, like, we don't know where they happened. A flood got them or something. You know, the government's covering it up. And this is, they're like, okay, so who do we call to help us film this shit, right? Because we, we, we can't do it alone. I know, says the sister. Remember the first scene of the movie where we were in a commercial and we were on a studio and we got fired? That guy who was the director who fired us? Let's call him and not tell him, hey, we have a UFO that just, like, took 40 people. And we have been trying to film it for money, and you can have some of the money and, you know, all the credit if you come out and help us film it. And, you know, it's, it's a fucking legitimate UFO. There are witnesses here. You're, you can turn on the news, see that 40 people have disappeared. You know, on CNN they were talking about it or whatever. It's L.A. I mean, that shit's pretty much like, you know, like going to be big, a big deal. And it is. It's, it's, it is. It is kind of treated like, like there's a police investigation and everything going on while they're doing this. <coughs> and so it's kind of like one foot in the real world and one foot in completely fucking fantasy land. And so they get the director to get interested in it. Because they tell him it's the impossible shot. That's all they fucking say. They're like, hey, uh... Have you ever have you ever heard about the impossible shot? And the guy's like, "Yeah, it's impossible." And and on the OSC, here's the here's the actual actor's voice who plays the director. And they try to play it off like he's got cancer, or he's like sickly, or he's like an artist, or something. And he wears like these black robes, like a skirt, like a man skirt. And that's like a it's like a, like a thing like a Middle Eastern woman wears. It's fucking weird. And, like, um, they never really talk about it. He just fucking shows up, and then they're like, yeah, whatever. And it's like, you showed up to a ranch wearing a fucking skirt, and, like, not one person says a thing about it. Like, okay. And, like, he's got this camera, and it's like an eye... And never before was mentioned, by the way, that they had a fucking camera that could work without electricity. He's got this IMAX super badass old-school camera that he brings for the impossible shot. And uh, it's never mentioned who this guy fucking is, what he's ever done in the past, besides the connection that he was literally the last director they worked with. And the sister had his phone number. That's it. That, that's fucking it. That's his connection to this story, is that this raspy-voiced motherfucker who's got, like, 
uh, an obsession with getting the best film ever and going down in history as the greatest director. And he's got this amazing uh, camera that can work under any physical condition and like that works perfectly with the UFO and all this. Um, oh, and at the very end of his little part in the movie, when he helps him set up the camera because he's like Quinn, he goes crazy and gets obsessed and sacrifices himself so that he can record being eaten by the fucking monster. And it's implied that maybe he doesn't have a lot longer to live because he, it looks like he's got cancer, to be honest. Uh, and if that was a part, they cut that out because they never say anything. They, they say like, oh, yeah. He just says, oh, by the way, uh, we don't deserve the impossible. And then he runs towards the UFO with his camera. His old-timey camera. And then uh, he gets eaten by the UFO. Um, and dies. That's basically it. And the camera gets taken, too. And never return, never spit back out. There's nothing, nothing ever happens with this fucking camera again. The camera and him are gone. They are out of the movie. Right? I'm fucking telling it like it is. He just shows up, and for like 10 minutes, they're like, oh, this guy's badass. He's got this badass camera. He's gonna totally help us. You know, he's like hardcore. And then he just dies, and he gives up his life. Oh, and oh, before this happens, there's even more random bullshit that happens in which a TMZ reporter shows up in a fucking motorcycle and the camera, oh, like a GoPro and shit. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm here to record and get down to the real... Like, he doesn't even say that. He just shows fucking up. And then, like, the black girl's like, uh, excuse me, you gotta leave. Like, we're, this is dangerous. Like, we're doing some shit here. And he's all like, oh, yeah, I knew... I, I had a feeling, and he gets the camera, and he rides out to go film what they're doing. And, like, he knew what was going on, and, like, like ahead of time. And he shows up, and he gets fucked up. He gets, his motorcycle crashes, he gets fucking owned, right? He's all broken up, and he dies, and the UFO eats him. And he's just there. He's just there to be like, wow, what a douchebag. That's it. <laughs> That's it. He just shows up. He's a fucking douchebag, and he dies. And you're just supposed to go, yeah, that guy was a douchebag. <laughs> and you're like, that was it. That was fucking it. <laughs> you're just supposed to go, yeah. Yeah, that guy, like, like what? What the fuck? Is that? He shows up, rides his motorcycle, gets eaten by the UFO, and that's fucking it. And then, then the, the old man gets eaten right after that. Because then he's all like, oh, man, like, that was, like, that was pretty sick. And he goes and, like, runs up to it and gets eaten, too. And then, so... You have uh, Mexican guy, Angel, who works at Fry's. You have uh, Emma, Emerald, or whatever, the, the bitch. And then you have OJ, who is like uh, the cowboy guy, right? He's like the, the, the badass, uh, you know, man of few words type uh, kind of guy. John Wayne kind of guy this part of the movie. John Wayne kind of guy tries to make a sacrifice where he's going to ride out. Uh, Mexican guy wraps himself in barbed wire. And kind of plays dead. Just kind of plays fucking dead. Uh, the UFO eats the house. Like, just eats the fucking ranch house that they were in. And remember, there is no point in this movie that the UFO has been said that he could eat a house. And he just eats this fucking house. And, um... Remember, remember he can't eat fake shit, right? He can't eat fake stuff. And he's, he doesn't like to eat fake stuff. But he ate an entire fucking two-story ranch home. 
just gotta let that let that sink in. A hacienda. A fucking California ranch. Just gobbled it up. It's like just sucked it up like in a big tornado. And at this point, at this point, it morphs. It morphs from the classic flying saucer shape to a big old jellyfish. And the big old jellyfish uh, has a big old square mouth. And it's like green and it's like feathery and weird, like plastic. And it's like, he's like a big, like, ripped up balloon looking thing. And he's like, uh, you know, he basically floats like a big old jellyfish. And like, he, he sticks out his mouth and it un unfurls and it's green. And it's just weird, like, unexpected. Uh, okay, so, Angel's hiding. He's wrapped up in barbed wire. He's out for the count, basically. Uh, OJ tries to sacrifice himself. Uh, which, it's implied that he does. It's implied heavily that he does, in fact, die. Emerald runs off on her motorcycle back to the Asian guy's carnival, right? And I shit you not, this is how the fucking movie ends. Emerald, or M, um, is in the abandoned carnival, right, where the people died. They got sucked up. The UFO monster is flying around she goes to a blimp and it's a big hot air balloon and of the Asian guy right in a cowboy outfit and she lets the balloon go and the balloon flies up into the air and then the monster eats the balloon I am not fucking making this up the monster eats the balloon and then blows up for no fucking reason It eats the balloon. It swallows it whole. She gets like a couple of photos of, of it doing that, right? Like undeniable physical proof so that she can get her money and they can save their ranch and all that good shit, right? So it's like a happy ending in that way. Um, <coughs> but this alien monster who's only been uh, eating horses until it had to eat people because the people just, I guess, they were just too close to the horses, to be honest, because it kind of went out of its way not to eat people for a good part of the movie. You know, for a good fucking chunk of the movie, it's not eating people. It's just eating horses. It's, it's kind of like, you know, keeping like a fine line. And it seems to know the difference between the two. Uh, and then it starts eating a bunch of people, right? So now it's got bloodlust, and it's got the taste of human blood, and it's just, yeah, nom, nom, nom. It's like mowing down, eating as many people as it can. Then it eats a fucking person-shaped balloon. Like, like it eats a gigantic hot air balloon that looks like a person. Kind of, like a cartoon person. It just swallows it. Like it, like, it eats it. Like, it fucking, like, goes up to it and, like, like, wraps it up and swallows it. Even though it has no life signs, is clearly artificial, is made of the very same material it's been spitting fucking out, you know, uh, throughout the entire movie. Uh, it... it people do not fly. It has not eaten anything that flies in the movie. It doesn't eat birds or anything like that, right? It just jumps on this thing and eats it in front of everybody. Like, literally, by this time, cops are showing up. So it's still stuck in the real world. Cops are showing up. It's like a fucking, like I say, the TMZ guy must have told his boss where he was going. You know, people are starting to learn. And uh, granted that, like, it is it is, like, within a three-day time period. So it's, it, it, it does kind of fit, like, you know, it's not like generational or like it happens where they're the only people who ever care about this thing over months and years and years. Um, 
but like the alien after eating the balloon blows up just fucking blows up just done just dead and it like it blows up and it like it becomes a cloud like the body looks like a cloud and it like it becomes a cloud and like floats off but luckily she's got the picture although we won't have any definitive evidence to prove that I think nearly 50 fucking people and like 30 horses were killed no it's like more like 10 horses still still you know I think that's a I think that's a pretty uh pretty in your front case for whatever the fuck just happened let alone to leave it off of this bullshit where it's like a like a, like a 50-50 type thing right like they'll always know the truth oh and at the end of it throughout all the rubble and uh, the smog and uh, the mist and the clouds and all that shit uh OJ comes back on the horse that he was riding, Lucky, and he comes back on this horse, and he looks at his sister, and they smile and nod, and then they're like, yeah, we did it, we survived, we lived, the end, Finn, that's fucking nope, that's it, that's the fucking movie, two out of five stars. Absolutely ridiculous. It'll be a cult classic because it doesn't—it doesn't need to be good, and it's got some really cool shit in there. So it'll always be like oddly okay to watch, especially in groups. And like I think it'll be a good like party movie or a good like hey show your friends type thing, like uh, the way Cloverfield kind of is. But just like when Cloverfield came out, I was also very disappointed and I hated it, and I thought it sucked. Which, same thing goes to this film. I hate it. Very disappointed in it. Thought it sucked. And there were many scenes in that film, especially the monkey scene, Gordy. Um, the scene where they're, they're sucked up into the UFO at Jupiter Park. And the ending scenes. That I felt nothing. I felt fucking nothing. And that should never happen when I'm watching a movie. I felt nothing. I wasn't scared. I wasn't interested. I wasn't even, like, amused. I was just fucking going through the motions and that's what I think a lot of Jordan Peele movies are just going through the motions and now I think it's like pretty fucking certain that it's just movies for his own power fantasies and his own fantasy fan base Um, and he's not making good films but he's making his films that are definitively his but who the hell cares? Because who the hell does he think he is? And that's why I give it two out of five stars. It was an absolutely mediocre uh, UFO film slash alien horror, which is a genre in itself. And and it constantly wanted to be a creature feature, and it constantly wanted to be a monster movie. And And it didn't have the balls just to say what it was and try to jump on the UFO bandwagon. But it's like, if, uh, you know, like, it's just, it's just a fucking disappointment, and it really is. It's just a junky, junky, overly long, just dumb as hell. 
and dull as shit. Thank you all very much for that review, and I'll be trying to do a rewrite session for the next hour, if you guys want to stick around for that. Well, I'll be trying to improve it using the pieces that they gave me. Can I polish this turd? Can I fix this shit heap lemon? You know I can. Next hour will be me rewriting and fixing Nope. Okay, excellent. So now we're going to be trying to rewrite Nope, trying to fix this and put out the fire. Or at least profit by sweeping up the pyre. Now, of course, the conceit for these, the kind of gimmick for these is that I do not actively change or add to any of the characters so radically that they become entirely new characters, at least in most circumstances and situations. I don't find it uh, particularly challenging just to say, okay, we'll, we'll introduce entirely new characters, we'll introduce entirely new angles, just so that it fits what I think is superior. That, that's underhand, that's uh, softball, right? Hard mode, a true skilled artist would uh, take the challenge and, and um, you know, overcome any shortcomings that we were given originally by that. Now, we don't want to change any of the characters, we don't want to change any of the real plot points, and we don't really want to change any of the uh, events or, chronolo- or any kind of chronologies. What we do want to change, though, is how they were handled and how the side characters were written and how they relate and interact to the main characters. Because that, in its true absence and its weakness, sabotages the entire greater project itself. So this is the Beyond Top Secret Texan rewriting Nope. So let's begin at the top. In rewriting the film Nope, we have to kind of go scene by scene, at least in what it terms to establishing the side characters who would become important characters later on. Because, of course, these things have levels, and you could say OJ is the main character. Without a doubt, the perspective of the story is his, and stays with him longest, and starts with him as well as, it doesn't end with him, but it does kind of make sense that it would transition over to his sister, who's also a side character that needs work on. But the main character, OJ, is actually pretty solid for what was intended, and that's a Jordan Peele power fantasy of this, like, rugged, uh, silent type, uh, very Americana, very Wild West, very, um, you know, golden age of... uh, you know, masculinity type figure being kind of uh, this voice of reason, the voice of sanity. Although he's not. OJ is not that. He's actually just more of a um, willful and very voluntary uh, player, you know, perspective and narrator. But uh, the very few characterizations we get from him or his trademark word, nope, which is his, you know, refusal to participate in the, or to observe and witness more madness 
or chaos of his worldview, and the fact that he um, has the most to gain and to lose from everything, as well as is both the unwilling participants, being that he is merely there along for the ride and trying to survive, but also, um, in any kind of sense, the hero, because he does uh, several times kind of put his life at jeopardy, uh, specifically to help out others and strangers at that. Now, the um, film begins with our main character, O.J., uh, speaking to his father on a ranch, uh, the, the kind of family ranch, right? And then his father dying when a bunch of random shit rains down on their property uh, at, I guess, maximum fucking velocity. And um, he catches, his father catches a fucking nickel to the skull. And um, it doesn't kill him instantly, but it does eventually kill him. And it buries into his sinus cavity uh, like a fucking <laughs> shuriken, like a fucking throwing star. But this nickel um, fucks and fucking kills his father. And he's all like, he gets to keep the nickel. And then he's all, like, fucking brokenhearted and shit, depressed, when the movie proper starts in the film studio. But this is, like, the prelude scene. Um, it's completely crap when it comes... I mean, I get it. I get why they want to keep it and why Jordan Peele would use it. Uh, because it thematically makes sense with the actions of the creature later on. But it's very... Very poor in what it's trying to do, and that is convey that the beast, the Sky Beast, has always been over them and over that property. The Sky Beast has basically lived in coexistence with them in peace, I guess, and harmony, but at the same time, not, and it's been eating people and shitting their personal belongings, I guess, randomly across the countryside, that being the first time it happened at that property. But for some reason, it stayed there, as well in that one valley. But before this, it, see that scene exactly, it alludes to them not knowing what the fuck this is and never having seen or heard about this kind of behavior. Um, so the, the monster is relatively very new and also in its attempt to directly connect OJ to the creature in a sense of needing revenge, right? Like the creature killed his father, but it's not because the creature didn't intentionally kill his father. It could have eaten them, it could have eaten them both, it could have eaten all their horses. It was taking a shit, basically, and a nickel from someone's pocket that he couldn't digest. And I guess when it takes a shit, it launches the fucking shit at maximum velocity into the ground. Because I think you can drop a nickel from, like, orbit, and it won't kill a man. I mean, like... I, I, don't think, I think it's a myth that if you drop a coin off the top of a building, it kills you. Because people have been hit by meteorites and survived. It's not... It's, it's not like... It makes a lot of sense why that nickel was going so fast. Have the father just disappear. Have them talking, working on a ranch, uh, you know, and have the whole conversation like, yes, this is the ranch I'm going to give you, you know, I'm so proud and everything, we were so awesome. Um... By the way, I gotta go, you know, either look at the horses that are disappearing, we're missing a couple horses, or we're, you know, or we're like, uh, you know, there's some bullshit going on with some cattle, because it references cattle mutilation, 
and our neighbor's ranch, and I'm going to go help figure it out, or have them just talking, and then, um, you know, you hear, you see the, the vortex and everything, and the father gets taken away, right, and his father's horse is taken away, and it's like, he's gone, it's a missing persons case, no one believes him, they, they, like he, they, they think he's trying to talk about a tornado, and he's not trying to tell them about a tornado. Although all he saw would be like a cloud with like the, the funnel coming down. And so when he's telling the people about it, he sees a cloud with the funnel coming down and sucking up his father and his father's horse. And no one, they think he's talking about a tornado. You know, and it, like they're like, oh, that's fucking weird. Tornadoes don't normally do that. You know, it's, it's, it's very cowboy though to get killed by a twister, and he's like, no, that that it, that doesn't happen. It doesn't like, it's like what I saw was breaking literally the physical reality of the world, like type shit, and have him be a stoic, silent, like depressive, antisocial malcontent afterwards because that the treatment you know that he got, but also um, have it not be where he has to introduce himself and his family at every job. Have it where he's still, he's only surviving based on the reputation of his father. And when you, next scene is when it jump cuts to him in a movie studio, it's not him being a fish out of water without his sister there to pull the weight and be the, the salesman, um, you know, the people person of the operation. You know, it's the fact that neither of them are very good, like either of them are very good, and that they got the job only because the director, who will come in later, who is the director of, you know, the legendary director or whatever that they're working with, worked with their father before in earlier films, you know, worked with their father and has that deep respect for them and knows the backstory and maybe even tells them the backstory, like, like, you guys, uh, you know, remember that you're Hollywood royalty, you know, your, your great-great-grandfather was the first one to be in this film, and they're like, yeah, we know the story, and he's like, it's not just a story, you know, like, you know, it's, it's Hollywood, it needs to be respected, and have him be like that. That simple, that simple alteration could have paid off and fucking huge dividends, the VIG would have been amazing when the director would then come back to help him by, you know, working for free, because he not only um, respected them, but their entire family and this ranch, uh, but also to get the impossible shot because it was connected to the father who he worked with. And there was this idea that everyone could working with them had that connection to the, fa- the original victim of the movie. Um, he would also have been that kind of like legacy figure. The director could have even expressed the fact that he's tired and he's retiring and this is his last movie, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So they're, they're worried about who they're going to work with once everyone who they used to work with, starts retiring, right? The money problems aren't there yet, but they're on the horizon. And this is another thing about pacing in this film, is that the pacing is all fucking shot to hell. It doesn't make any sense. It's about as smooth as a triangular tire, you know? It is absolutely bullshit how they keep going from Gordy and fucking Jupiter, uh, or Jupies, whatever his name is, uh, fucking flashback to the chimp attack, to um, the the weird ass fucking way they tell OJ's story and his events and, and trials, the way they introduce the sister, um, 
like it's very rapid and it's quick and it's over three days, but they spend so much time about Jupiter and this fucking bullshit flashback that doesn't pay off because we never learn anything about them, nor do we give a shit about anything that they did or do, and it's supposed to be he's a bad guy, but we also don't know why he would be a bad guy. We're just kind of left there feeling nothing as things kind of just unfold in front of us, and because it's supposed to be a shocking reveal, but it's halfway through the film, it doesn't feel like it was deserved. It feels like... It feels very much like if you put the twist of any M. Night Shyamalan movie halfway through the movie, how stupid that would actually have been. Like, in The Sixth Sense, instead of waiting till the last literal five minutes of the film before the guy, you know, finds out, Bruce Willis finds out he's dead, like, an hour into it, he's like, oh yeah, I'm dead, now I'm ghost Bruce Willis, and I have ghost powers, and I can do my ghost job. And then for an hour, it's just ghost Bruce Willis, who's completely aware he's a ghost, and just doing, like, Scooby-Doo shit, you know, like, he knows no one can hear him and talk to him, so he's just kind of, like, walking around and hamming it up. Like, it would change the tone, which, absolutely, it does. It changes the tone from a UFO, extraterrestrial mystery, uh, you know, a, a mystery, to one of certainty and of a creature feature, like uh, Jaws or Lake Placid, because we know absolutely what Jaws is. There is no mystery as to what fucking Jaws is. Jaws is a shark. He's <laughs> a, a great white shark. It's, it's seen halfway through the movie, especially explicitly eating a kid. That's what it does. It's what it looks like when it does it. It is absolutely what's going to keep happening unless you stop it, which is what the fucking UFO is. It's just a flying shark. It literally resembles a stingray if it was flying around hoovering up people like they do crabs. And it really is that simple that they, they, re they take away the agency by making that reveal. Now, to keep the mystery going and everything as well as increasing um, some of the, the tension and motivation and increasing the backstory behind Jupiter, since that's fucking apparently what we have to work with, because Jordan Peele made it so that this is like a third of the fucking film for no fucking reason, is this bullshit fucking Asian child actor and a time a chimpanzee mauled his co-stars, and he watched, and uh, that's fucking it. Folks, he's like, that's fucking it, folks. That's it. it, that's, it. And that's the motivation, I guess, that he has to uh, feed horses to a UFO and then eventually get himself and his uh, family accidentally eaten by the UFO. Completely unintentionally, of course. But that, I guess. like they, So, the way to fix that would be incoming. So the sister and the brother, who are, have been working together, right? Who have been working together. They don't have to live together to work together. You know, that's a thing. People like siblings don't live together. But they can still have a connection to the past, especially since their father went missing. And she doesn't know what happened because she wasn't there. He does. And he's like, you don't believe me, do you? And she's all like... It's just, you know, it's hard to believe in type stuff. It's heartbreaking even to think about, but then you got this craziness on top of it. You know, and he's all like, I saw what I saw. He's just like, yeah, you know, if you tell me you saw that, then you saw that, you know? Like, that's how you know they're kind of like, she's on his side, right? Point is, 
they come in the opposite way in the film where she has all this static. She doesn't want to take the horse around. She doesn't like them. Uh, she didn't think they respected her. She's like a lesbian, musician, like uh, actress-type girl from the L.A. side, and they live in the country. And she wants. it's obvious she wants to leave all that behind. And she's like... Um, very selfish and very uh, one-sided in that way. Like, completely um, oblivious to anyone else's, like, um, you know, reaction of her. And that's how she's introduced in the film, because she goes to Jupiter's office, and she's, like, just asking dumb questions and fucking interrupting their business, and eventually gets Jupiter to tell the story of the monkey attack, uh, Gory's attack. You don't have to add that. You can have her actually be competent, you know, in talking about this. And then maybe uh, the conflict occurs when Jupiter says something out of turn, like, oh, and thank you for the horses, you know, that, you've been, that you're going to give me and sell me and all that. It's a great deal. And then she's like, what do you mean selling horses? I never, I never told I was going to sell a horse. And he's like, oh, I'm buying it from OJ. And OJ's like, well, they're my horses. I trained them. You know, I live here. And he's, like, asserting the fact that after his father's death, as a sibling, he's taking over the ranch. He's taking over the horses. He's taking over the business. And that she thought they were either doing it equally or that she had, you know, the business and stake and all that good stuff. Um, and he, him being like, no, like, like, this is obviously all mine. Like, I'm the one out here working and everything. And then... That being the conflict there, not the fact that she has no business over there and doesn't want to be over there, but the fact that she just has a different idea for the business and that, you know, she's already making network moves that he's not going to, like, seeing eye to eye with, and this is just so early in the game, right? Like, she's really worried that they're not going to have a successful business moving into the 2020s. Right, because it's set in the current day, moving into the 2020s, moving into the future, and he wants to keep it the way his father had it, you know, back in the old days. But the movies don't work that way anymore, you know. It's, it's a lot of that. That could easily have been the discussion, and not the fact. I don't even know what they had. Nothing. They had nothing, right? Compared to that. Another thing is the <laughs> connection between um, Jupiter Park and or Jupiter is Carnival his family, and the Gordy thing, and the, the, the monkey attack. It's played, like, in this weird-ass juxtaposition way, where the park is thriving, it's super successful, people are genuinely very happy there, like, working and visiting. He seems like a great guy. Um, he, he has a lot of money and a lot of land and a lot of, like, resources. His family looks very happy. He's got three sons. Um, and, and they keep having him flashback to this chimp attack, which he keeps the memorabilia in his office, and, um, which is fucking bizarre, right? Because they try to make it seem like it was the worst day of his life but he never speaks about it or regards it in a serious tone. But they're trying to make it out to be like, you have no fucking clue if you were really there how terrifying and traumatizing this would be to a human being, especially a child, right? Um, but yet, it doesn't reflect in any way the fact that he's a charismatic, charming, uh, Wild West 
entertainment entrepreneur. Like it doesn't act like it doesn't come across in any single fucking way. It's not even a cowboy show with the monkey in it. It's about like space or something. It makes no fucking sense on the face of it. But if you have to keep it, just have that be, um, you know, a, a motivator for him thinking about his success. That this was some kind of providence. That this was some kind of higher power. That, that this was some kind of supernatural event. That yes, it was a chip mauling. And he can speak about it detached and logically like, oh, um, you know, this is they're highly dangerous animals and you're working with them. And sometimes they like Siegfried and Roy type. But he actually, deep down, thinks he was protected by God. Like have him kind of not be like an evangelical Bible thumper. But have him believe that he has a higher purpose. That he was he was saved because of something, right? And that that something was his park. And that it just, you, just, you know, just have him, like, as an introduction to that. Like, the, and, and the way that he's not traumatized, and he's, he's gotten over it, and he's able to live with it, is because every day, even though he has to remember it, uh, it's better because he can keep, reminding himself that he is lucky and that every day is a gift and that he can do his best and they show him like kind of you know having manifested that having his big family having his big park with a bunch of employees that all love and respect him with the kind of silent and ironic burden being that um such a popular person has such a nightmarish past and kind of like a heavy psychological like shadow Right, like you know, that while he's smiling and waving at his employees and his customers, um, he may be thinking about the the chimpanzee eating his co-star's face off or something while he's hiding and crying. You know, like that that kind of duality, right? Like you never know what's going on inside someone's head, and that leads into the extraterrestrial terror. Like you didn't know what was going through the chimpanzee's head. You don't know what's going on through people's heads. You don't know what's going on about intelligence or life itself or strangers or the great capital Oh, other, right? But it's just that people, um, you know, tend to kind of like these soft, childish, gimmicky things, these realities that make them forget their troubles and pains, and he's profiting off that. He knows that, that they want, they don't want the truth, they want the fantasy, they want the... Uh, spectacle, which is in keeping with the, the the whole point that's being made with this whole scene, is that people want spectacles, people want gimmicks, people want entertainment, even at the the risk of uh, natural dangers and unpredictable uh, catastrophe and violence and things like that. That 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 we will try to domesticate for entertainment's sake and that has got to be the only fucking um, higher meaning to this entire work as a meta criticism of the movie itself and of the movie industry itself and of the societal reaction excuse me, to uh, the UAP OVNI phenomenon excuse me, I had to see this there for a second um, 
is that the UAP, OVNI, UFO phenomenon was taken as a spectacle, was made a kind of entertainment venue of, and ultimately a kind of joke of. You know, because people are incapable of handling terror. They're incapable of handling fear. Proper responses to threats in their environment. They rather make a joke of it See it through a consensual uh, or a consensing um, uh, reality. Seeing it through like the, the the majority's opinion of it, not their own, and then trying to go with the flow, go with the herd, and just in, sit back and enjoy the ride instead of taking an active, um, you know, um, active understanding, an active um, uh, imagination of an active like foresight of it. You know, they just kind of, uh, they're like sheep. And that the idea of that people are like sheep and they're just, they're clapping and they don't understand that what they're dealing with could not only ruin a real person's life, but ruin their life, ruin many people's lives. Which is the ironic end of Jupiter and his whole uh, attempt at feeding these horses to the UFOs for his audience. Because he tries to tame the UFO, tries to make a profit off the UFO. And then ends up being literally devoured by it. I mean, how unlucky is this guy to survive two wild animal attacks? And there is even a co-star that he invites to the, the, the event who had survived the chimp mauling, who had no, fa- like no lips or no face. And, um, and she's supposed to be the survivor of the chimp attack. Who, who the chimp ripped her face off, and then she survived, of course, only to be eaten again, <laughs> only to be eaten a second time <laughs> in her life. And I mean, motherfucker, you gotta think those odds are uh, matrix style odds if you get eaten twice by two different animals. <laughs> I mean, son of a bitch, right? <laughs> like. <laughs> If you get eaten twice by two different fucking animals. And that's the best scene in the movie. And that's the best scene in the movie um, as both a horror scene and just as in the fucking movie. Like, you know, just as, hey, it was all all for that. I guess the $9 was worth it, right? Let's um, say for that, that was really, they, that was it. That was the money shot. And um, that whole thing could be led up to. Because remember, this happens an hour into the film. This doesn't happen right away. This happens an hour. Most of the film, up to this point, is needless bullshit. And just padding. And fucking dumb shit. Um, Up till the point where fucking you see the first horse. And I think the horse is called Ghost. And the the movie's set up these little chapters. uh, These little fucking chapter names. And they're just, it's just dumb. It's just dumb. It doesn't make any fucking sense why it would be like that. It's just like Clerks. You know how Clerks used Dante's Inferno because it actually meant that what you were seeing was like the symbolic modernization of Dante's representation of hell being like sales and service workers and like low-level minimum wage cashiers and shit like that in New Jersey. Like, oh, I get it. It's like high culture meets low culture. Right, 
except uh, when this happens, it's like fucking bullshit meets Cormac McCarthy, where it doesn't matter <laughs> what the fuck is going on. It's just loosely revolving around horses and violence. And that's basically... <laughs> maybe not Cormac McCarthy. I don't know what the fuck is going on, but it's basically revolving around horses and violence. <laughs> no, I like the counselor. There's not a lot of horses in the counselor. Well, there's no reason to talk shit about Corbin McCarthy. He did. He didn't make me upset. Corbin McCarthy's done nothing wrong except for the road, um, but it's not his fault. It's not his fault. <laughs> people are stupid about the apocalypse, and they think that we're gonna keep people in cellars and eat their limbs. Yeah, that, that's great. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's fucking great. <laughs> but um, going back to it, now I'm thinking about the road. The infinitely superior film, by the way. You never know what we have until it's gone. But yeah, that era, that era is long gone. But anyway, uh, Jupiter, Jupiter's story could take that hour and it could build up introducing the characters like Angel, who is the tech guy uh, to set up security cameras, etc. As well as his fan, like Jupiter's family, as well as, you know, um, over time, even explain the Gordy thing, you know, over time, not immediately, but over time, not the first thing you hear about him, but over time, like at the last is like when you reveal that this guy um, has survived an extreme amount of trauma, and that who you see as the smiling entrepreneur. Uh, happy-go-lucky optimist with the great family and, and career and job and, and carnival is act- actually a very troubled man. Is actually a very, very troubled man. That would have been a much more rewarding payoff with the same amount of screen time. You would have fit the same amount of shit and the same amount of packaging without the repetitive nature of the threes, everything in threes is super important. But really, the problem is that itself. Does it need to be there? Does it even need to be there? I think no. And I, after watching the film, I think the Gordy scenes were random as hell. And it felt like he had an idea for two movies. And one of them was the Chimp Attack movie, except he realized that what he wanted to do could probably be only 30 minutes long. And so, you know what? He's making this UFO movie that was probably 30 minutes too short. Because the movie is like two and a half hours long. So it's like, okay, I only got two hours of... I'll just throw that 30 minutes of Chimp Attack movie um, that I already kind of probably have even have filmed uh, in there in the first hour, just to kind of pat it out, you know, just to kind of throw people off a little bit and surprise them for what we're eventually going to get. And if it had any direction to it, like he was like, no, this is an important part of the character. This is absolutely like a, a major thing. They never go back to it. And even, I think, wasted the opportunity of having Jupiter survive... Whereas his family and his customers and his employees died. But Jupiter 
could have survived and then had like the complete uh, alien abductee close encounter fucking uh, amnesia uh, trauma based amnesia and um, hell like they, they could have gone a lot of different ways with that he could have been jumped back into the his nine year old mind where he saw the chimp attack and that's all he can think that's like, the permanent state he's in because it traumatized him again so much that he reverted back there to his like you know child mind um, they could have had him wounded and him spit out and him dying you know like like you see that he's like being digested you know in the acid or something um, you could have had a lot of ways to go with that that he survived and then um, ran you know like like tries to run to get OJ to get help and uh, because they have such a sour relationship and everything that it becomes one of those things where they just you know he is still a person and so you saw the Gordy thing just to humanize him at the very end that he's not the bad guy, even though he's basically the bad guy. If there is such a thing as a bad guy in a monster movie. He's the big business guy. He has the uh, the money and the, the, the power, the leeway over OJ and his ranch. And he's literally stealing and killing his horses. Um, you know, not stealing, but like literally buying them for a steal and then killing these horses. In a kind of like a, in a way of trying to enslave or domesticate a, a UFO. That's a that's a monster. He doesn't know it's a monster yet. He thinks it's a UFO. Um, in fact, he has a very interesting thing they never really went with: the fact that he says that they were visitors and that he did his own study over a significant amount of time, and that he was witnessing these and learning how to op- how to interact with the UFO, etc. So, if you wanted to go in the direction I stated earlier where he thinks he's connected to a divine power, he thinks he's part of a a greater beyond, a greater paranormal, uh, supernatural reality, because of the shoe, because he survived, because of the way the chimp reacted to him, etc., because because he survived without a scratch, Um, that this was, he thinks, um, something like that, right? He thinks this is the reason why he was left on Earth, so that he can get this UFO shown to the masses. (laughs) <laughs> just like OJ and M, who is OJ and Emerald, um, they want to get the UFO on camera so they can make money, so that they can get the fame and get the ranch again on in, in Hollywood good graces and get the money to operate, you know, and to have a, like, you know, hire workers and expand their operation. They want to see the UFO. They want to capture it. They want to capture the unknown. They're messing with the fucking... Uh, the universe, you know, trying to capture it, which is like hubris, which is tempting fate, which is going to provoke the UFO. Jupiter is trying the same thing, except he's trying to make money off of it. He's trying to promote himself through it. Um, you know, and you can say there's a lot of reasons why it ends up eating his family, eating his customers, because it's he's like he, they it thinks it brought he brought them to them, you know, so to it. Like, that's how I would have done it. Jupiter, after having fed the horses and got the creature trained, quote-unquote, to accept the, the whatever he brings to feed it, right? Whatever he brings to feed it, it eats. And that could have been seen by OJ. And he sees him, like we know, but with binoculars and shit, feeding a horse to the UFO. That's the, the UFO encounter when they decide to get the cameras. Um... OJ is going to go over there to confront him. Um, 
you know, uh, he finds out that that event's going on when OJ's trying to make sense of it and tell him that, you know, like, ask him what he's doing. You can't get to him because of security. The He decides to leave, but then in watching, you know, from, from where he's leaving, getting a little bit of distance, the UFO comes, thinks that the whole uh, group is there for it, sucks everyone up. You hear the screams, the, the terror, the, the scariest scene in the film, best scene in the film. But Jupiter... It leaves because it's always left Jupiter. Jupiter is the one that feeds it, right? So now Jupiter has that extreme guilt. He has that extreme remorse. Um, in fact, Jupiter could be the guy on the motorcycle instead of the TMZ because he needed a person to die. Someone who is, you know, willing to, like, you know, just be killed at the very end of it. That's not the cameraman or the or angel, um, etc. Or you could just have him kill himself after that, you know. And and the show the the he uses the same gun that killed Gordy. How about that? And that's part of his collection too. His little his little uh, Gordy monkey rampage room. Um, he's got like uh, the same pistol that shot Gordy that was used by the police officer. And he, you know he pulls it out and he of his case and he sits down in the room and he shoots himself in the room with this trauma because. Even though he tried to break away from it, he seems to only bring trauma and pain and, uh, and, and death and destruction when he tries to work with these animals and everything, right? So it's this very great portrayal of, you know, and reminder of this fate that he can't escape, you know, uh, with creature horror. So OJ could basically be like, oh shit, you know, like I gotta go. You know, this is obviously way bigger than us. At that point, Instead of at first leaving, which they do after the blood rain, after the fucking uh, massive assault with the the UFO over them, it's basically just fucking uh, it just fucking with them right for an entire night. They leave, and then they go to Angel's house, who's just this a guy who set up the cameras, right? Their tech guy. It would be great if. Him and M might start, you know, building up a romance or something to give him more incentive for sticking around and more incentive for trying to defend her and be close to her. That's not necessary because you can do it a lot of different ways, but having them either just be friends, you know, already, instead of just someone that they met, you know, going back to Angel's side character, but he's important because he's a survivor till the very fucking end, and from the first scene, this guy shows up, and he's almost always on camera. So he's not a, a slight minor character like the director. After Jupiter, this is probably the second biggest side character because he's in almost every scene after he's introduced, and his usefulness in the script as setting up security cameras and knowing technology makes what they're doing possible. So he is actually required to be there to make the scenes work, to make the movie work, especially at the very, very end. When they do like the, the weird uh, do-it-yourself monster trap, you know, they're trying to trap the UFO. He's stealing car batteries, he's like, like wiring shit, he's the electrician, right? He's the tech guy. Have him either be into the sister and OJ knows that. Um, have him trying to be like like either them already dating, or if not a romantic thing. Just have him be like, you know, 
hell, her roommate. Something that's not just he worked at the store, he insulted them, called them stupid, that they didn't know how to set up anything. Uh, they hired him, and then he just stuck around, literally almost being killed for two days straight. Then giving them a place to stay in Los Angeles, and then uh, returning back to have this final confrontation, uh, you know, and like a suicidal last stand type thing. He has no incentive to put his life in danger. Hell, have him not even live in Los Angeles. Have him live in the valley next to them. And that's another thing with Jupiter. Jupiter could be buying up a lot of land in the valley and be looking to buy the ranch itself just to expand his land, right? Like, And so there was a lot of people living there. This angel character could work at the... the Fry's electronic store. He could, you know, work in L.A., but he lives close to the ranch. He's a local, right? And that his card in the game, right, his dog in the race, is that he's literally next-door neighbors with O.J. and with M. So he doesn't have anywhere to go. The UFO is his problem, too. He works with technology and cameras. He comes over, help, uh, offers to help, now he's in the game, right? Now he's in the film. He's in every fucking scene when he's introduced onward. And he's just some guy who lives in L.A. and works at Fry's Electronics. And these two people happen to shop when he was working there and buy from him. And then he's in his life-and-death adventure with a UFO. Have him just be connected to the valley, be like, oh, yeah, he lives right down uh, the road. And, you know, his family has always lived there, but he works in the city, you know. Like, he's not a cowboy like us. He, he's just, he works at, like, a, at, you know, he works at Best Buy, basically, Fry's Electronics. And, you know, like, he's, he's you know, trying to move into the city, but, you know, he lives here because rent's expensive. But the fact that the UFO is attacking literally everybody in the valley by the end of it, just fucking up everybody, you know, goes to show that maybe he's a UFO believer, too. He's the UFO nut. He knows all the UFO information. And he's the one constantly looking for them, and they think he's crazy or, you know, just, like, you know, weird. But when things start happening to him, he's the one who's like, yeah, your father was taken by a UFO. And he's like, what do you mean? You know, you believe me? You believe what I said? I don't know what I saw. You know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't see nothing. I just saw that. He's like, yeah, you did. Like, I believe you type thing. Like, you're not crazy. It happens here. And he's explaining to him, and the guy's like, you know, like, it's not unbelievable to think that they might, you know, be hanging out and stuff like that, you know, after this after this tragedy or, or, you know, just as lifelong neighbors and things. You know, they might, you know, be more open to that kind of behavior. Sticking around in life and death situations generally reserved for friends of the family and, and next of kin, right? Um... And then the director. The final piece of all of it, the director. And like I said before, because he's in the first scene, you do all your introductions there. He knows the family, used to work with the father, might be aged and getting old to retirement, might be sick, who fucking knows, right? Point is, he's uh, yes, he's accomplished, he's got all these awards. What could get this person motivated, or what's still the thing that he's yet to do? Uh, get the impossible shot of something that doesn't exist. And the thing is, the UFO phenomenon, it, it's right up that alley because as a, a filmographer person, as a film guy, 
as like a cameraman or whatever he's into, that could be something that, yeah, he's, he's been watching the news, he's like into it, and he's like, hey, um, you know, like, I'm, I, I'm watching the news, your fucking neighbor was abducted, 40 of people are missing, uh, all the employees, all the, all the uh, guests, and the boss was found shot, you know, shot himself in his, in his office. Uh, I know you know about that. I know this is a big fucking deal. I know it probably has to do with aliens, right? So I'm coming down there. I'm going to film, whether you like it or not. And I'm bringing my camera, and it can work without power. And you know, they tell them, like, well, the thing can knock out the power, right? The thing, the thing can knock out security cameras. We can't get it on film. And he's like, you leave that to me, right? Like, I got cameras that will work in war zones and stuff. And he's worked, you know, in Africa and stuff like that. He's seen it all. And when he gets there, yeah, he brings all his equipment, and it's really badass, but he himself is kind of sick. You know, like, last time you saw him, he was sitting in his director's chair, mostly. Now you see why, and it's because, yeah, he's kind of like an old, skinny, like, you know, obviously some, like, probably got leukemia, probably got some kind of cancer, brain tumor or something, and he can't really, he doesn't have a lot of energy. He can't really stand up very long, he can't really, like, carry anything heavy. But he's sitting there, like, on the mountain, like, like well, we're going to put the cameras here. It'll give us this kind of shot. Uh, you know, like, I, I, he has the vision, right? And he's telling them what to do and set up these old-time cameras. Get it? It's like old-time Hollywood. It's sick. It's dying. But it can still teach a lot with ideas of perspective and things that aren't physical, things that are it's lessons learned and experience that he's gathered, right? And he's telling them because he may not even be alive. And that's my surprise there. I guess I'm giving it away. That at the day of, you know, he actually dies of a, a heart attack or a natural occurrence. Something like, you know, a stroke. Because of the stress and of the pressure that it's going. Because him running out with his own camera, which is one of a kind, with the film against ideas of reputation or legacy or fame or money you know anything that he knows or assumes that this will kill him and that it will also destroy the evidence destroy the camera and destroy uh, his work but still does it because of the life experience I guess um Exactly. It makes no fucking sense why he would do that without any profit or gain. He didn't sacrifice himself to distract it from eating M or eating OJ or eating Angel. He didn't distract it from destroying the cameras. He didn't distract it so that he could get the shot. And, you know, he gave his life so because he knew he was going to get the shot. And, you know, it'll go down in history that, you know, he, he gave his life for his art. You know, that no greater artist move. Which I, I think that's pretty cool too. He could have gave his life purposely to get the UFO down where he could film it a lot easier. And then it comes and gets them, but it's on tape. And then that's the tape they end up using, you know, to get the $500,000 reward money. And, you know, thus in the real world, they get the happy ending and everything, right? And all you would have to do is spend five fucking seconds on this director character to discuss his motivations, discuss who he was, his accolades, and have any more connection than just he found his phone number from their old contact list from their last job where he fired them. And he doesn't know who they are. 
doesn't give a shit what they got to sell, and they're like vague as hell. And she's literally like, oh, I got something that you would really like. Uh, it's the impossible shot. And he's like, oh, what's that? And he's and he, she has to explain to him that it's worth his time to come up there. And then when he's there, they break the UFO truth on him. And like I said, all they have to do is say, turn on the news, you know. And like I said, he could have just been watching the news himself and been like, okay, that's really like something I would need to film. Like, you know, I live right next door. I'll be down there. Um, I'll bring my cameras. And then that's like, you know, filming an earthquake site, filming a hurricane site. You know, as a director, as a documentary, you know, guy, that would be easiest. Because they even say, you're going to make a documentary. And he's like, oh, a documentary. That, that, that you know, that people love documentaries. And he's like, yeah, you got to come down here. They, they make it really vague for no fucking reason. If you were very succinct and upfront that you had a UFO, 100% guaranteed fucking UFO to film, yeah, that would make a lot more fucking sense. That this guy who's dying, who's already retired, who's got really nothing else to do in this art form or in this field, um, this craft, he, of course, this is the one last thing, the impossible thing, the thing that no one ever thought is possible is the, the absolute proof of, you know, something, you know, UFOs. So, of course, he's going to go down there, you know, and of course, he, he, it might be worth sacrificing his life, you know, which he ends up doing anyway, but for no for no fucking reason, really, for no fucking reason at all. And then, of course, the TMZ guy, which doesn't even need to exist because it serves as just as an, an extra victim, which in turn kind of uh, dulls the, the, the sharpness that was the 40 people who were killed. Uh, and that's a prolonged scene. That's, that's, that's fucking exquisite. Um, that is an amazing, amazing moment in that film. Um, and like I said, sound alone, because it doesn't really show much, but the sound alone is, is, that is absolutely a masterwork right there. A master stroke and a mediocre work. But, you know, like I said, if you're going to leave, leave, like, you know, with, and have that scene much later in the film. Of course, having that scene with Jupiter's Park being, you know, basically devoured, uh, in mass, have that be very near the end. And if you're going to do a two and a half hour runtime, I'm talking that happens at the end of hour two. That happens at the beginning of the third act. At the very, like you say, when that happens, it's already game time where they, where they are going to have the night of terror. They are going to get the cameraman um, to get over there and they're going to film it. And then it turns out that it's the beast. It eats the house, all that good shit. But I mean, like, that's got to be way later. Because I said, it happens in the first hour. At the end of the first hour, uh, Jupiter's Park is devoured. You learn that the UFO is actually a sky beast. Uh, that it, it almost demolishes the house. It almost kills OJ and M and Angel. Then they go back. And then they're trying to outthink it. And 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 outplan it and use cunning to trick it like it's a common beast or has the intelligence of like a horse, and like they're, they're they actually talk like that. They're like you can't look it in the eye. It only attacks if you look it in the eye. Oh, it's territorial and it thinks this valley is its territory. Uh, if it's got a will, it can be broken. 
uh, it can be trained and we can train it because I, you know, I'm a horse trainer. And you're like, it's a fucking flying monster that apparently he's like, we have no frame of reference for, but then to treat it like it's just like a big alligator, <laughs> you know, like. It has, like, very obvious rules of engagement and can be outsmarted and, and actually even outmaneuvered because uh, the guy rides a horse and it's he's faster on the horse than it is flying, even though it's been very clearly seen flying fucking super fast. And it has um, altitude problems, to be honest, because it's a very low altitude. It's just like it hugging the ground, to be honest. It's, like, barely flying at all. Um... You know, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And like I said, at the very end of it, too, of course, to rewrite it, like I said, you got to go with beat, beat how it's going to happen. And at the very end of it, when the shit goes down and and Angel's, like, you know, wrapped up in, in the barbed wire because he gets spit out, and, um, you know, M's, the house has been destroyed, and OJ needs to die. He needs to sacrifice himself for real. When he does it, I was literally thinking he already done it. I thought he sacrificed himself for fucking real. To have him come back at the very last scene is bullshit. Because it just totally, like, it, it, it totally makes what M did just kind of like, what, so, so he was just watching? Like, so what? He was just kind of like, like, where, where would he hide? Like, we, we were looking, there was nowhere for him to hide. He obviously got eaten by it. And unless she was hallucinating, you gotta make that clearer by having her not only see her brother on the horse but then like have her blink and then he's gone or like you know have her you know the the paramedics rush around her and she's like reaching out to him but he doesn't show he's just like he's on the horse just looking at her you know and he's and then you can kind of as the audience be like oh maybe he was just a vision maybe he was a hallucination maybe she has like brain injuries you know because of the fucking house falling on her and shit and like you know then you can break off of that ambiguity but I think he was dead and and to have him having to then kill the monster with the fucking balloon dumbest shit ever just fucking dumb like I said it became a creature feature and the worst thing about creature features is that they almost 99% of the time end with the creature blowing up they blow up the monster some fucking way come hell or high water they put a bomb in its mouth they get it to eat a bomb they throw a bomb in its general area and it like they make it walk over a bomb they put it inside a bomb they blow up the building it's in they uh, it blows up itself like in Predator that happened once. They, it blew up itself. Somehow, like, that motherfucker's getting blown up. And they blow this motherfucker up with a balloon. And, like, what? Like, <laughs> like I said before in my review, what? Like, I still can't get over that. He eats a blimp. He eats a balloon, and then that balloon pops him. He's like, why wouldn't he pop the balloon when he ate it? He doesn't have teeth? <laughs> like, they don't, like, they even point that out. Like, he didn't, like, he just fucking swallowed a balloon hole? But then couldn't do it? Like, what? Like, it's like it's, it's it's stupid like a frog. Like I only frogs do that dumb shit where they eat something that eventually chokes it to death. And you're like, why didn't even try? <laughs> and but that's the fate of it. And that's 
That's absolutely the, 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 the end, of course, of that monster. And I would actually have liked if the monster survived. Like, if there was no definitive ending and there was no resolution, it just flew away. Because the idea is that it wouldn't need to stick it around anywhere, and there wouldn't be any definitive justice to something that... <coughs> excuse me. That, like, uh, m- other monsters and other movies... Um, are part of the American landscape, part of the American fabric, like uh, forest monsters, uh, sea monsters, etc. So that even if you killed this one individual, there's still the open question of what the fuck was it? Where did it come from? Are there more? Why did this one decide to attack us? Um, etc. The, the implication of this film is that this thing is not an alien... It's a mysterious sky beast that did not always live there because the family's been there for generations. They didn't remember this thing killing and eating horses or people, but just showed up and just uh, just started eating people, horses at first, but just started eating people eventually. And then uh, they blew it up. And that was, uh, that's it. That fucking, uh, that, that's nope. Exactly. Like they don't answer any of the biological questions, the zoological questions, any of the questions that would immediately rise at this thing. What the hell is it? How the fuck did it evolve? What the fuck is it going to do? Its life cycle? Uh, where do they come from? How many are there? Where do they live? Um, they, don't, they don't even ask those questions. They don't even ask those questions. They just keep running with the punches. Like, yep, it's an animal. Uh, we can blow it up. We can kill it if it's an animal type thing. And, like, we, can, we can outthink it because we're people and we're smart. And you're like, it raises so many questions that even if they just addressed, it would have made the movie far more science fiction-y, far more, um, far more intellectual when it comes to horror. But they don't even, they don't even try. They don't even try. It just becomes a, a straight-up creature feature. So the only way to fix that would be to ask those questions, or at least bring those up. And so to have Angel be the UFO guy, be the science guy, and have him be... Uh, the one to actually be um, bringing up theories, bringing up past abduction accounts, bringing up uh, UFO reports, bringing up the mass sightings that happened, bringing up the, you know, um, different parts of the UFO investigation in the world as an insider. That would have, that would have been far... More efficient for his character to not only be multitasking as, you know, M's friend, or or the friend of both M and OJ, but also um, the tech guy and the UFO guy. Because honestly, there is just a lot of questions that even as a UFO researcher myself, that I was like, they need, they didn't ask these, they didn't bring them up. These were very interesting points, and I know that because they were in the film that Jordan Peele willingly chose to have his characters ignorant of, but just kind of, like, aware of in the universe. Like, like in the universe, they talk about the Navy and UFO disclosure, etc., and the government, and, um... But they never never treat this like the government would be interested in it. The government never responds to it. They never really, like... It's, they, they understand that the internet's real, yet they don't use it. <laughs> like, they understand the internet. Like, they get instantly told thousands of people around the world 
uh, maybe millions of people around the world that this UFO was flying around eating their fucking horses. They could have uploaded whatever video evidence they had on hand, whether it be perfect or not. They could have, you know, like called the cops. <laughs> they could have done a lot of things that in the modern world it's presumed to be the world that they live in, but just, but, but just not pursued as their actions as characters. And exactly, to make it a better film, to rewrite it, just do it better. Just, like, rewrite the fucking script a couple of times, and every time you see a massive plot hole when it comes to reality and how real people act, just smooth it over. You know, and I think that was a problem, is that it, that it, it was given absolutely no thought for realism or efficiency, and um, he had one or two good gimmicky ideas that he was absolutely too impatient to throw out in front of people. And thus, it's just... It's like it thought its own characters were irrelevant to these set pieces. And you know what? Because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, it's his film, they were, in fact, irrelevant to the set pieces. The director is just a guy with a camera. The, the angel is just a guy who set up the cameras originally. You know, M is just the sister, and she likes music, and she doesn't like the ranch. Uh, OJ, he's the guy who likes the ranch. Uh, Jupiter, he's the Asian guy. That's basically it. Who <laughs> got attacked by a monkey. For some, exactly, That's the one unique character. He's the guy who survived the monkey attack. Uh, or the ape attack. And then every, every other single person is just a one-dimensional, one-note character meant to serve one purpose, and that is just to move the plot closer to the goal line, that is UFO eating everybody at the park and UFO is actually a monster and the UFO uh, gets killed. And that's how I would rewrite Nope. That's how I would improve it as the Beyond Top Secret Texan. So thank you all very much for listening. God bless you. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Peace out, guys.